The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 184 Miracles for Thousands in a marble palace refurbished in the Roman style, the smell of delicious food wafted from the tables, and music filled the background as musicians played in one corner. The banquet hall was full of prominent men of government, education, finance, and culture, along with their wives and others. At the head table sat King Herod Antipas, Tetrarch of Perea and Galilee. Next to him was his wife Herodias, formerly his brother's wife. Herodias leaned closer so as not to be overheard. Enjoy yourself. Today is your birthday, and I hear Salome has a surprise planned for you later. You won't want to miss it. Herod took another long drink of wine. It was fine red, sparkling in the cup. He swirled it and took another drink, and another, and another. He continued drinking as Salome entered and danced for him. Well done, Salome. A dance worthy of a king's favor, he said after Salome finished her dance and came to him. What shall I give you to show you my gratitude? I will give you anything you like, up to half of my great kingdom. Seeing some of the politicians at his table raise their eyebrows in skepticism, he swore an oath that he would fulfill what he had promised. His words slurred slightly. Salome stepped forward with a quick look at her mother. Herodias nodded signaling her to make the request they had discussed earlier. There is only one thing I want, sire, Salome said. Herod leaned forward. I would request the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Herod Antipas's heady mood ceased. He was suddenly much more sober than he had been just moments before. All eyes focused on the king to see his response. Judah's ruler did not want to kill John. The prophet had condemned his marriage to Herodias. But Herod knew John was right. Herod Antipas knew it had been unjust to arrest and imprison him, but it would be even more unjust to execute him. But he had just made a grand promise and swore an oath in front of numerous important people. If he backed down, his prestige would suffer and he needed every ounce of influence he could get in order to keep this province under his control. He glanced at Herodias next to him. She appeared surprised at this turn of events, but he knew she had orchestrated the whole thing. Herod Antipas put on a brave face and tried to act as if he were not conflicted. It shall be done, he commanded. Thus ended the life of John the Baptist, 
he had been imprisoned and executed for preaching the truth, but he had fulfilled the purpose for which he was miraculously born. He had prepared the way for the Christ. Jesus continued teaching and healing in Galilee for a time. In the autumn of A.D. 29, he went up to the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. His ministry had grown immensely more popular since he had first thrown the merchants out of the temple, and now he faced intense opposition. The Pharisees again persecuted him and tried to trap him for healing a man on the Sabbath. Returning home to Nazareth for a visit, he spoke powerfully in the synagogue. Those from his old home could not believe that the illegitimate carpenter's son was capable of the works that had been reported. Because of their unbelief, Jesus did not stay long, nor was he able to do much work there. Their attitude prevented them from receiving the blessings they could have had. After the unsuccessful visit to Nazareth, the work moved into a different phase. Jesus had continued teaching and healing, but so many people needed help. To do a greater work, he needed helpers. The twelve specially chosen apostles gathered in a circle around Jesus at the house in Capernaum. They were eager to learn why he had called them together. Jesus told them that the time had come for them to receive more responsibility. He was going to send them out by twos to minister to people on their own. Jesus knew he could not do all the work he needed to accomplish by himself. He needed the disciples' help. The apostles also needed the increased duties so they would develop as leaders and be able to handle more responsibility. So he gave them the authority to heal people and to cast out demons in Jesus' name. He instructed his disciples not to go to the Gentiles. It was not time for them to receive the gospel yet. That mission would be given to another apostle after Jesus' death. The disciples' job today was to go through the regions inhabited by the Jews and the descendants of the other tribes of Israel. They were commissioned to preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons, and even raise the dead. Jesus told them not to take extra clothing or money, nor to carry any weapons for self-defense on their journeys. The disciples would have to rely on God to provide their protection, food, shelter, and all their basic needs. Jesus warned them of the opposition they would face. Persecution had grown steadily since the confrontation in Capernaum. It had been a problem at the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem as well. Do not be anxious about what you will say, Jesus told the group, looking each man in the eye. The words will be given to you, for it is not you who will speak, but the Spirit of your Father will speak in you. After Jesus finished giving them their instructions, the apostles prepared to leave. They were both sober and excited, but also determined not to fail Jesus Christ and God the Father. The disciples went home to their families that night and said their goodbyes. 
The next day, they set out in the rosy light of early morning, filled with zeal for the task at hand. These were the first steps of a new journey that would take them to incredible places, through unbelievable trials, and eventually right into the family of God as they followed the path that Jesus had laid out for them. Christ watched them go, then traveled out of town in a different direction. He, too, had work to do. By spring, when the Passover of A.D. 30 came, the apostles had returned to Capernaum. Worn and wearied from their journeys, they were full of excitement. As each pair of men arrived at the house, they embraced one another and shared what had transpired during their travels, the places they had seen, the people they had met, and the reception their message had received. The people from the town and the areas round about knew that Jesus and the disciples had returned, though, and now they were even more well-known than before. It was impossible to focus on further training the disciples when so many people were still coming for healing and teaching. Jesus decided that they would have to leave Capernaum. The core group of workers who followed Jesus loaded a boat and took off across the Sea of Galilee to a desert place near Bethsaida Julius, north of the sea and east of the Jordan River. But as they neared the shore, some people recognized them. They ran to tell others. By the time the disciples pulled their boat ashore, a crowd had gathered. Some of the disciples were a little disappointed. They had just returned from an exhausting journey where they had been constantly teaching and healing. They had come seeking a quiet spot to rest and receive instruction. But there was still more work to be done. Jesus surveyed the crowd. Thousands had gathered. Many had obvious physical ailments. Some looked like they were influenced or possessed by demons. Many more seemed to just be interested in seeing miracles and hearing unique teachings. Compassion for those people stirred within him. We have work to do, he told the disciples. These people are like sheep without a shepherd. They need our help. For the rest of the day, Jesus and his disciples moved through the crowd, helping the people. As the sun began to set, some of the disciples made their way back to Jesus. It's been a long day and the people need to eat. Can we send them to the surrounding villages to buy food? You feed them, came Jesus' surprising reply. How? asked Philip, shaking his head and looking around. It would take eight months' worth of wages to buy enough wagon loads of food to feed this many people. We don't have nearly that much food or money. Does anyone have food? Asked Christ. No one did, except for a young man with five loaves of barley bread and two fish. The skeptical young man handed over his dinner after being promised that he would be fed. Jesus took the food, then told his disciples to organize the people into groups. Thousands of people sat down in small groups across the grass. The disciples also fetched some baskets. 
Jesus prayed over the bread and fish and took out a few loaves and fishes, putting them in the first disciple's basket. Then he reached in and did the same for the second disciple. Then he did the same for the third. The disciples watched in amazement as Jesus repeatedly reached into the same wrappers and repeatedly brought out more loaves and fishes. When all twelve had full baskets, they stood in front of Jesus, amazed. Jesus smiled at his stunned disciples and raised his eyebrows, gesturing for them to take the food to the people. The disciples obeyed, then came back for more. They repeated the process again and again. Whispers rippled through the crowd. The people had seen no wagons of food, nor piles of provisions near Jesus, nor anywhere else in this deserted area. Yet the disciples kept going back to Jesus and returning with more food. After every man, woman, and child had eaten, they even served seconds. Five thousand men and thousands more women and children had eaten from a provision of five loaves of bread and two fish. When the disciples gathered up the leftovers, they brought twelve baskets full of bread and fish and laid them at Jesus' feet. This man is definitely a prophet, said one man as he watched the disciples returning with baskets of leftovers. Not just a prophet, said another man. He must be the Christ. A man who can do these miracles can liberate us from the Romans. Many others in the crowd were saying the same thing. Here was a man who taught powerfully from the scriptures and performed mighty miracles that they could see, hear, and touch, and even smell and taste. Some men from the crowd gathered in a group and made their way to the spot where Jesus had blessed the food. They wanted to proclaim him the Christ the ruler of the Jews, they were ready to start a revolution. But Jesus was gone. He had slipped away to pray, and the disciples had gone on ahead across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. Out on the dark lake, a storm had come up. Peter, Andrew, James and John had decades of experience on the water. They had faced hundreds of storms, and they knew this was a bad one. Sheets of water poured down on them from above, and waves splashed up on them from below. The boat wallowed in the troughs of the waves. Peter stared as Andrew and James trimmed the sails. John directed the other eight disciples as they furiously bailed water even as more water poured in. Lightning arced across the sky as Peter fought the tiller to keep the boat's bow facing into the waves. The exhausted crew battled through the night to survive. What is that? James cried, pointing out over the water. He had dropped his bucket in shock. Something was moving across the waves toward them. It was not a boat or a ship. It looked like a man. It's a ghost! Yelled one of the terrified men, half delirious from lack of sleep. A voice came from the figure in the midst of the stormy waves. Don't be afraid, the man said. 
It is I, Jesus. However, the men were still fearful of the storm and of this bean walking on top of the water. If it really is you, Master, tell me to come to you. Peter called out. He was a passionate man, often throwing himself wholeheartedly into situations. This was one of them. Come, came the reply. Letting Andrew take the tiller, Peter sat on the gunwale. As the boat rode a wave down to its trough, Peter swung his legs over and jumped down into the waves. But he did not go under. Instead, he found himself standing on the water's surface, the waves carrying him up and down. Stunned, he took a tentative step toward Jesus, who was still walking toward the boat. Then he took another step. He was walking on water. As he walked toward Jesus, Peter's attention turned to the stormy winds buffeting his body and the huge swells of the waves. He suddenly thought of fishermen who are drowned in such fierce storms. Suddenly, his feet broke through the surface of the water and he plunged beneath the waves. As he surfaced, he knew it wouldn't be long before the waves claimed his life. Save me! He shouted, reaching out desperately. Jesus quickly closed the distance between them and grabbed Peter by the arm. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Jesus then hauled the relieved and exhausted Simon Peter to the boat. As soon as they were inside, the storm quieted. Peter had sunk because he began to walk by sight, not by faith. Instead of focusing on Jesus, he had become distracted and doubted. Bailing out the rest of the water, they sailed to the area of Gennesaret without further incident. When they came ashore, Christ was again recognized by the inhabitants, and the people poured out of their houses. He began healing and teaching the people. Meanwhile, back in the area near Bethsaida Julius, the crowds had realized that Christ and the disciples had traveled across the Sea of Galilee. Knowing that he made his headquarters in Capernaum, the multitude piled into a small flotilla of boats and made their way across the sea. Once they arrived, they asked around and quickly found Jesus. As they poured into the synagogue where he was working, the crowd began asking him why he was there. Jesus knew their true motivations, however. You only came here because you received free food, he said. You do not even care about the miracles. You just want a free lunch. You should put in that kind of effort, not only for physical bread, but also for spiritual bread that leads to eternal life. The Son of Man will give you that spiritual food. The multitude became subdued as the people realized they wouldn't be getting a free meal today. What do we need to do to work the works of God? Ask someone in the crowd. The work of God is believing on him whom God has sent, replied Jesus. Show us a sign then that you are him, said one man. What sign will you give us? Yeah. Can yeah. you make us manna from heaven the same way Moses did? Yeah. Show us! 
this group of people had a single-minded focus on filling their bellies, not on the priceless spiritual knowledge they could receive. Jesus began to teach the people about his role as the spiritual bread from heaven that offers true eternal life, not temporary physical life. He told them of his father and how he did his father's will in everything and how only through Christ could they have eternal life. But these Jews couldn't understand. How can this man say oh, that he man. came from heaven? Some said. Yeah. I know his mother, yes. his father, yeah. his siblings, we, All of we them. saw him grow up. Yeah. Others were less charitable. Who does he think he is? He was born from fornication. Right. Yeah. Why are we supposed to believe him? Why? Why? Jesus told them more about his role as the bread of life, but the crowd was now discontented. When he said that they could not come to God unless they ate his flesh and drank his blood, even some of his disciples were shocked not understanding that he was speaking spiritually, not physically. His eyes swept the much sobered group. By now, the thousands had scattered, some going back to their boats, some traveling to town. The core of the people who remained were his disciples and other close followers. Some of you do not believe, Jesus said. No man can come to me unless God himself chooses him. At this point, even those devoted followers who had been with him began to leave. Jesus watched sadly. The message was too strong for them at this point. But even as the others walked away, looking behind them and talking in low tones, Jesus' twelve disciples remained. Will you leave also? He asked his disciples. Peter looked at him and asked, where else would we go? You are the only one who has the words of eternal life. We know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We are staying. The other disciples nodded. Although Jesus was encouraged by their loyalty, he knew not all were faithful. Yes, I chose all twelve of you, he said. And you are staying even when everyone else has left. Then he said something that stunned them. Yet, even one of you is an enemy. The disciples were shocked. Someone among us is not loyal? One asked. Who is it? But Jesus merely shook his head and moved on. To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the resources tab at pcg.church.